start off the podcast by me apologizing for not being able to not laugh last week while you were talking about your TBI, but you can't say things like my addiction to getting hit in the head. And then you delivered it the first time and I laughed, but you, your ability to and do it again, you do it again three fucking times. I'm yeah. never going to not laugh at that. Where yeah. all, I said, I, I called you afterwards or the next day. And I was like, Listen, did you know you were going to say that? Or did that just no. like organically come up? Because that shit's funny. But not when you're trying to record a podcast about mental health and your friend's TBI. You deliver so deadpan sometimes. Dude. Yeah. No. Oh, I can't with you. Anyway. Here we are, Monday, November 13th. Anna and Nick with the Mentally Hungover podcast. Anna, hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm hanging in. It's been a Ooh. rough one the last few days. I'm glad I pulled it together for this. Well, well, that's uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Glad you could make it on your show. And well, listen, <laughs> listen, this is self-care for me. And sometimes I literally just talked to a client about this. Sometimes you don't want to get up and go to therapy, even you, even though you know that. I don't have the ability to give myself the excuse to not do things like this because it's important to my mental health, much like therapy is a great tool for mental health. And it's important to our 83 Facebook followers and 31 Instagram followers. Ooh. Um, this just, and I've been told that there's 14 TikTokers, whatever those are. 14 TikTokers. Um, listen. I, those numbers are impressive solely for the fact that I created them and didn't push anything or put out a lot of content and didn't forward it and didn't do the whole thing because we weren't ready. And I spent, what, like six hours yesterday getting the clips, getting the reels and posting, posting, posting. I I literally, it took six hours to post all that stuff. And then because there was such a big flush, people couldn't not see it. Sorry, I'm not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Well, we're getting stuff out there. That's good. Seems like people are viewing it and liking it just a, just a little bit. Another shout out to a little bit drunk man. Hey, we're doing this just for you. All right. So mm -hmm. this week we are going to talk about stigmas associated with mental health, some stereotypes, public judgment, yeah. maybe some self-judgment. Oh, Anna, what do you what do you think about all of those wonderfully light topics? <laughs> well, it, when you first brought this one up, it was like, okay, that might be take a little bit for me to get my head wrapped around and how I like and not have a huge emotional response to it. And then the next idea you had was we could talk about mental health and how it how the holidays affect it. And I was like, can we go back to the other one? So uh, this uh, topic, although not light very important and less uh, anxiety inducing for me than the holidays one, which I don't want to avoid. I think we should have that conversation next week because the holidays are coming and like we do processing. It, I love my favorite idea. movie line from Christmas vacation is it's the holidays and everyone's miserable. <laughs> Clark, so. is your house on fire? No, Aunt Bethany. Grace died 30 years ago. Um, I really so, like the idea of talking about mental health and stigmas because that is something that I'm trying to help in our society break by uh, doing co recording coffee with Anna every day. So let's dig at it. What do you got? 
Well, I think uh, personally very important to me because in the military, I believe there's this stigma that it's not okay to get help if you have if you're having mental health issues. And I lost somebody very important to me over the summer, and I don't know if they didn't think it was okay to reach out or they didn't have any options, um, and I don't know, but. I think there's a huge stigma around getting help. And then I think there's a stigma around the stigma of not getting help. So people think that everyone thinks that it's not okay, but it's a double negative where it's fine. It's actually okay. A lot better for everybody. So what are, what are some stereotypes that you've heard or you think people have about people getting treatment or having mental health issues? Oh, I definitely know my experience uh, very well, actually. I know my experience very well. <laughs> I paid well, attention. I was dramatized right. by it. Um, I, uh, being a quote-unquote squeaky wheel, my favorite phrase, you know, my whole life, uh, big emotional dysregulations that I hid for a long time and then that was not hideable, right? I remember when we were at Dublin's and I was having a really big... Uh, that's when the cutting had gotten really bad. I couldn't hide it anymore. Um, I told my family we, I, you know, I went to the hospital, all those kind of things. So I was fun bartender Anna, and uh, that's the person that everybody knew. They knew the mania and the fun, and they didn't know the other side of it. And I, I, I didn't give them the chance to do it because there's stigma, right? And I remember bartending, and I, when I started to be open and honest, like. <laughs> I think you and I think Bull and somebody were, like just told people I was at the spot. So like people were like, "Oh, you're just yeah." Spot. Like, well, yeah. I was actually at uh, Northwestern in their behavioral health because I, you know, I'm bipolar, and you see me when I'm, you know, in uh, oh oh, I would say to people I'm bipolar, and the response was no, and it's like yeah, no, I am, and they're like, but every time we see you, you're so happy, and it's like yeah, that's because you don't see the times where I'm on my bathroom floor. Like the stigma of because I was perceived as happy, that it was mm -hmm. unbelievable when that I could have that other side. And the more I talked about it, like when I talked about when I would, I, I am a labeler. When I say uh, bipolar, I, uh, p the stigma is crazy. Like right. I have been called crazy I, to the point where when I was pregnant with Grayson, somebody who knew me from the bar and only knew bartender Anna and that she was bipolar, you know, like she doesn't know me from fucking Adam, but she took it upon herself to reach out to Grayson's biological father and say, Oh, are you dating Anna? Like I, she's a little crazy. Be careful. And it was like, first of all, that was, I, first of all, you knew me 10 years ago and I'm not crazy. I have emotional dysregulations that I really, really struggle with and care for myself and address them. Like how fucking dare you? But that stigma of the word bipolar and yeah. crazy get thrown around all the time. Right. Yeah, and dangerous. Uh, and uh, if, if somebody's having that, they're danger to other people, not only to themselves, which I mean, generally is not true. Jeffsy, generally, it no. can be from time to time. But um, obviously, you can make rash decisions when you're going through hard times. But other, other one, uh, people think just because you are going through something that you're incompetent or incapable of of doing anything, a else. job or a task, like. Well, why does why is Anna happy at the bar if she's bipolar? Well, they don't tip very well if I'm on the floor crying. So, facts. It's a mask. 
right? It's not, it's and not in a bad way. I didn't, well, it, the, the bartender persona is a different, you're there to make money. You're an actor. You're out there to, I, you're selling yourself I, and you're selling the alcohol. Yeah. I, I, I always say like it was it was dinner and a show and the dinner was cocktails like I, I was it was a performance that I was good at and enjoyed I wouldn't judge an actor for embracing a character and nailing it so I yeah. can't blame myself for 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 self preservation purposes and for for being human purposes curated the Anna personality that I like that is just part of me that is bartender Anna I like having that. It, but it is seen as that uh, because I could be that act, because I could do that, that, well, then she's fine. Like uh, a stigma with mental health is that as long as if you're not actively showing signs of having an issue, then everything's fine. Whereas if you tell somebody I'm having an issue or uh, talk about, you know, or you're more open with it, then people think you might be inept. Yeah. Or, or when. And, uh... so, and, and I. I, I do, I do want to make it a point. Sometimes when you're going through an emotional dysregulation or cognitive functioning issue, you are <laughs> like right now I am telling everybody, like, I can't remember to feed myself. I, there are things that I cannot be in charge of right now. And that's why we're sourcing help. Like I have to take care of myself before I die. Well, when you reach that burnout stage, it's tough to, tough to pull yourself out of that hole. But, uh, the other one that I just was popped into my head here is, is that, uh, if uh, people put a lot of stake in injuries that they can see, you can you can see a broken arm or a or a, um, a bruise or things like that. But when you're when you're disabled and you have injuries, uh, uh, in my case, traumatic brain injuries that or see. that you cannot see, then that's uh, people view that. I, if, if they can't see it, it's not real, right? Uh, people Invi have a lot of stake. Invi invisible illnesses are, right? Right. And then, and then you, in my case, convince myself there's nothing. Well, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I cannot, there's nothing I can treat. Uh, and then I, and then that leads into uh, this here Im imposter syndrome, right? Is I'm, I'm not worthy of my accomplishments or I'm not worthy of getting help is that someone else needs to get help more than myself. So, what, where do you see that fitting into things? A phrase I say often, especially when I'm talking about mental health is, and, and therapy, especially like uh, my favorite uh, analogy is that when your arm is broken, you know, your arm is broken and your brain knows how to fix your arm. That, like that you know how to do that, right? But when your brain is quote unquote broken or not working at a functional mm -hmm. level that it should or that you're used to and it's causing issues, the problem is, is that your brain doesn't know how to necessarily fix it because it lies to you and you get imposter syndrome and you think that you're not worth it. And you I, I, I throw cocktails back because it's like, well, this is it. Yeah. Uh, and you're making bad decisions. Uh based on an injured part of your body so if you're if no. you're if you're depressed if you're going through a tough time in your life down out injured uh, traumatic brain injury i mean the things that the pain that i would get sometimes from symptoms of of these head injuries i could not think straight or do anything but i didn't look like i was injured i just looked like i was out of it uh, 
you know, glassed over in the eyes. That was as much as he could tell. And, it, you know, can't walk straight falling over vomiting. But those are minor things. But, I mean, you, so you have the flu? I it's, So the flu. It's mm, Stigmas are hard. It's not the flu, right? Like, uh, I am constantly, especially in this realm of taking care, and Gray, taking care of Grayson, the invisible illness of it, the stigma of it, right? He's not medically sick enough to qualify for programs. He's not delayed or autistic enough to qualify for programs. But when you put those two things together, those two invisible illnesses have crippled our family. And when I talk about that, and when I try to get everybody to see the big picture or people that we need help from, the responses are like, well, you look fine. Or, well, but he's nice. And it's like, I didn't say, I didn't say he was a dick. I said that he has cognitive and emotional uh, dysregulation to the point where it's crippled our family. Like, but because he, because he's verbal and because he can walk and he doesn't hit people, it is perceived as like, oh, she's just being dramatic. That's a stigma. And actually, that's what I was thinking of earlier is um, when people ask you, how are you, how are you doing today? And they generally expect you to say, oh, good. How about you? But when you say Mm -hmm. bad, they have nothing to say. There's nothing, no response there. Nothing to say. They didn't expect that. They go, oh, 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 uh, sorry. Oh, why are you complaining? Well, you look, you you look, you look fine. mm -hmm. I play, everybody's plates are heavy and I don't ever want to not remember that. But when it gets to using that as an excuse for like, well, everybody has a hard time. Well, you know, oh, I forget things too. You want to compare you forgetting things to sometimes to my debilitating ADHD. I don't ever want to judge somebody or compare. I want to be able to be empathic, to be like, what can I do to help you? Because you don't feel good about this, right? It's not for me to judge. But the response, it is, I think it is society's response of like, well, keep going. Everybody's got issues. Keep going. Everyone is going through something that you know yeah. nothing about, right? Uh, you don't know what just happened to that person when you walk up to him 10 minutes ago. Uh, I remember over the summer when my friend died, uh, I was, I mean, people would walk up to me and I just, I just, how are you? Uh, really, really bad. What do you want? Oh, well, Nick's being a dick today. No, no, I just don't want to, mm. I just don't want to be here. And yeah. people don't. They don't know how to respond to that because nobody ever tells them how they're feeling. Yeah, I I think that that is why we do the podcast, right? Because there's the stigma of if you talk about how you actually feel about things, then you can be judged for not feeling how everybody else does. Only to find out that as we start to talk about these things, start to talk about mental health, me start to, starting to talk about cutting. I'm devastated to know that I am talking socially about cutting and my experience with it. To find out I had four girlfriends that I was close to in high school that have all had self-harm throughout their lives in big or small ways. But it's like, where the fuck was that TED Talk when I was little and not the abstinence is the way to go? Not that abstinence isn't important. I mean, it is. But not abstinence from getting help for your mental health. I need to learn how to... (laughs) take, Take abstinence out of it. I needed to learn how to square dance and play the fucking recorder. And not to care for my mental health or how to fucking do taxes. 
Our Don't you dare talk of, that bad about hot cross buns. You mean uh, the song to summon the devil on a recorder? Awful. I have one nailed so, to the wall in my bar so nobody can play it. Well, it's, I mean, at least it's up there. It's it's like a museum. Um, self, self-judgment. Everybody, there's nobody harder on me than myself, right? And... Uh, I think there's two sides to this, to this coin. It's, 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 there are ways to get help. And if you're not getting help and, but you think you're not worthy of it, but then you get harder and harder on yourself. Anyway, this illness is my fault. And somehow I'm, I'm degrading myself by being sick and I'm, I'm ruining my life. And then that's a, that's a negative feedback cycle, right? Is yourself yourself into being worse and being worse, and you're just holding that microphone up to the speaker, and eventually the speaker's going to explode. I, the imposter syndrome, like, when I first heard that phrase, I was like, other people know what that is? Like, I, my, <laughs> there are a lot of things that my uh, executive functioning has, that are impressive to me and other people that I've done throughout my life. Uh, being able to own a bar and not put any money in and just sweat equity or to be able to make 47,000 masks and put together 100 people at the very beginning of COVID to organize this effort to protect our community, right? Whether you're, whether you're like masks or not, like with the intention of helping people, right? We had masks go overseas to help people, right? to help soldiers who were stranded because they didn't have anything to put on their face except gas masks. Like being able to do those things or being able to make a quilt in six hours, all of these things that people have praised me for or have, or have given me positive feedback on, I, my immediate response is like, oh, and pick anything here that I, A, don't deserve a compliment on, but then B, don't acknowledge in myself that that is a plus. So when it comes to all the negative feelings of imposter syndrome or I'm not good enough, I'm causing this, I'm the problem, like I can't see that shit. Yeah. Well, we're our, we're our biggest critics, right? Oh, last episode we were our own biggest. We're our biggest fans, but individually we're like, eh, our, our, we ain't so our great. Our biggest fans and our biggest critics. Oh my god, what was the tangent I just went on? Right, uh, we started talking about military stigmas, workplace. <laughs> <laughs> Way to loosen the mood, honey. <laughs> Let's talk about really hard stuff. And I look up in your skull. This is the humor that we need to be able to survive. I'm okay with it. Um, okay. You, you and I were talking about military and stigmas yeah. and mental health and cognitive functioning, all these things. And I don't know how to just talk about the stigma of mental health in the military without really in my mind, looking at a big picture of like, I'm under the impression that there are people that go into the military and sign up for the military for the benefits of getting their college paid for or being able to go into the programs that they want and all those things. There is a population of our society that goes into the military because at, that at high school was hard enough, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I got through high school and it's like they don't, you know, some people go to the trades or, or start working right away or go to college. Like uh, there's, I, but when, when it's like, okay, I don't know what else to do. I have a lot of people that I know that were like, oh, well, I might as well do the military for lack of work. I, I was in the bar industry working at bar backing or, or uh, bouncing, right? Barney, Barney Island and just the, that is not a sustainable life, right? You can work there for a whole summer, but then it's like, okay, what do you do the other part of the year? Yeah. I have friends that went into the military and I, 
working theory, right? I know that at some point, uh, neurodivergent people or mental health people with mental health issues fall off what I like to call the societal line, whether it's like, I couldn't do college, like your mental health takes over at some point and you have a stop where you can't keep up with that job and you can't do those things. When those things happen really early on, they're not as severe or noticeable. So when somebody's just a little bit of a squeaky wheel after high school, it feels like in the past that join the military, right? Like they have these big blown out productions of uh, uh, commercials of the 1% of the special forces elite and they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that, right? I was just saying, raising my hand. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're like, oh. There are a lot of people who fall off that line because of either emotional dysregulation or cognitive functioning issues, whether it's a, a, autism, bipolar, mental health, all those things, right? They're, they're, if there's any sort of predatory practice of who they're choosing, this might be one of them. You know, like, uh, they'll, they'll get you through, right? They, they so, will. The, the recruiter will get you signed up if you pass the ASVAB. So you're taking somebody who already had a little bit of a squeakiness, but not enough to need a doctor or, or, or to really know what's going on, right? If your arm's broken, you don't know how to fix your arm. You're, like if you're just mm -hmm. like, oh, that was harder for me than anybody else, right? Going into the military where they completely strip you down and build you up in a military tin way um, doesn't leave much wiggle room for mental health in the sense that, A, they've broken you down and rebuilt you back up and now you're supposed to be here. So you stay here, right? You don't, you're not supposed to have the emotional reactions. You're not supposed to have those things. There are uh, people who have neurodivergence to take the military out of it are more prone to PTSD. I was always going to have post-traumatic stress disorder because of the way that I was taking in the world over and over and over again. So if, if taking what I know about my own mental health functioning and brain and all that stuff, if you would have put me in the military and built me up that way, all of the masks that I had before would have been compounded because of the stress uh, and all the things that go with being in the military, right? Vets are more prone to mental health issues because of the separation, because of what they see, because of what they do, being torn down. It, that all leads into the alcohol, into the abuse of alcohol or the gambling addictions or the drug addictions or why, insert everything that here. Some people don't get addicted to stuff. They're just shitty to themselves forever. Like, People with those kind of issues before they go in the military are just predestined to. That's the population that gets out and doesn't survive. And that's just the mental health and cognitive functioning part of it. You take in traumatic brain injury. You take in uh, all of these other things that are diagnosable that, uh, that have these really long-term effects. And all of those things happening, it is still the stigma of like, society says, yeah, that should get help, that should get help. But they have been told over and over and over again that they are where they need to be and they are fine. I, that is the suicide rate and uh, vets is overwhelmingly uh, emotional. <laughs> Veteran suicide is, is becoming more well known as the uh, twenty-two a day is what the, what the leading statistics say. Twenty-two veterans a day are committing suicide. But that's, yeah, that's, that's tough. It's tough to talk about. It's tough to deal with. But the, I guess the more that we do talk about it, the more people realize that this is happening and that it is something we need to look into. Uh, here's, here, here's, here's, what, here's how I see some of the stuff with the military, the stigmas and things like that, and with mental health. So when you go in, you take the, the ASVAB. It's a test. Uh, 
150 questions or something like that. And it's multiple choice and it's on a screen. And the answers are on the screen. Uh, all you got to do is just kick out the wrong answers and you can find the right answer. It's multiple choice. So it, it, it's, it's a lot easier test than some people make it out to be. But if you, if you overthink it, you can, you can really sink yourself. But people that do well in systems like that or do well in taking tests can just figure that out. It's, it's just, but if you, the bottom line is if you pass that test, you're going into the military, whether you have it, um, Here's your mental <laughs> issues or not. There, you're going in. You just got to pass the physical at, uh, at the military entrance processing station, which is, is comprehensive, but they're only there to find disqualifying, uh, mostly muscular, skeletal things and, and things that will prevent you from carrying rucksacks and going on long foot marches and things like that. They're not really getting, there's no, there's no psychological assessment, not at that level. Um, some of the special operations units and things like that. There are, yeah. there are those things. Um, we had one at at uh, selection, and randomly after that test, fifteen or twenty people would get dropped. So, uh, for whatever reason, doesn't meet the criteria. Doesn't meet the criteria. So, at, at the, but there aren't any of those things when you first come in, or at least I don't remember them. So, you get when you get in, the, the whole military is the is a very regimented scheduled thing now there's a lot of other outside forces that come in the taskings um, you have to go somewhere you have to do this you have to go stand here you have to go stand there all those other things but it, pretty much the same the days go by at the same the same rate there's a schedule we do this a b and c and d and that's how your career goes and i can see a lot of people that would have, be a neurodivergent and fit into that very well, but I can also see oh, when that I, when that goes away, when that goes away, uh, that they might fall apart. Uh, the same way soldiers with PTSD or with depression or with all these other things, uh, TBI, when they get out, uh, their world tends to collapse, and yeah, it's um, terrible. I I follow a guy on TikTok, right? I have a sour taste in my mouth when it comes to the military and because I'm seeing my friends struggle, like I don't have a positive lens, right? I found this guy, I think I found him on TikTok or Reels, and he openly talks about his uh, autism and how he was in the military and loved it. Like he talks about his ADHD and the military and how he loved the process. He's like, I would clean my gun the fastest. I would okay, we're doing this. Like he's, I needed that structure. He's like, uh, I, so I thrived. And he, I was the person to go to. He said, I had a problem when I got out because he's like, I went in knowing I was autistic. So that didn't, he didn't, he, he had enough information about himself to like proactively prevent some bad stuff or like the mental health. Like he was able to protect his cognitive functioning and mental health more because he had, he knew what he was dealing with. He says that when he got out, he knew how to be regimented for the military, but it did not translate into civilian life. And that's where his emotional dysregulation came from, where in his mind, the military is 100% positive. It was, holy shit, I didn't have enough tools in my tool belt to transition this into a civilian world. Some people get out of the, out of the military and can transition into the, into the, into the uh, population of civilians. Some people have a harder time with it. People that have neurodivergency or mental health issues to begin with are going to have a harder time and need to have better tools for that. 
but I was excited right. that he that he that he embraced exactly what you said. Like he thrived there was the getting out afterwards. That was the problem. A lot of people thrive there. A lot of people that thrive there uh, fail to adjust when they get out. I spoke last week to um, on a panel, and one of the questions was, "What should a what should someone who's never served in the military know about people when uh, they're transitioning out of the military?" And I went off into this long answer about how from the moment you go into the military till the day you get out, you're on a separate planet. You're not in the same world that the rest of the people are. You don't live amongst the community. You live on base with other soldiers. You go to, you eat on base, you shop on base. You sometimes don't even leave base for weeks at a time because that's all you do. All your friends are there, the people you work with 18 hours a day and you're there all the time. So it's really, you're indoctrinated into this into this system, and, and 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 then part of that system is if one if one person fails the team, then the whole team fails, and that's what you're brought up in from basic training into your unit into other units and, and things that you do and you succeed, and that is a is, is a like a, is a stigma that the individuals put on themselves is I can't go get help. Because if I get help, I'm letting the team down. And I don't want to let the team down. And, and the other guys, they wouldn't do that either. So it's this it's this big uh, self-degradating responsibility circle. To a tra- it's like a big responsibility to a trauma bond. Yeah. I can't do it, A, because I'm letting somebody else down. Or B, I'm not that bad. Somebody else needs it more. I'm not yeah, worthy I- of it. I think it's more of it. The, the first and foremost is I, I don't want to. I don't want to look bad in front of my friends, or I don't want to let my friends down because they really they all be it becomes your friends, your family at that point. Mm-hmm. Some people don't care. Some people don't care. They're just uh, you know, uh, and 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 good on them. But it it starts at the top and works its way down. That's why uh, you'll see or you'll hear hear stories about uh, senior leaders, sergeants, majors that are just go to mental health so that their their soldiers can see that they're going there and utilizing those services and encouraging their junior soldiers to get help and to take steps necessary is you know it's just like exercise if you're not if you're not if you're not exercising you're not going to get any stronger you're not going to be fit if you're not working on your mental health it's probably probably not good for you but i mean maybe who knows i don't know maybe it is good for you i don't know A working thought, right? When I get frustrated at what fucking society is doing and being angry about it, I am training my brain into being like, we can either just be fucking angry about something we can't control, or we can really figure out what what would make me happy enough to not have this anxiety, right? To not be mad at government for fucking over my friends, you know, or I, it's how it feels. That's Anna with her hair on fire. I... With as much time, energy, and money that they put into training uh, uh, to training recruits, right? Let's just say, uh, training recruits, right? It's hours and hours and hours of training and, and all these things. How I say how easy in levels of importance, if it's that important for a, uh, a soldier to work out their body and fit the parameters of what you would deem as a 
soldier worthy of serving in the United States of America's government, uh, you know, military, why the fuck have they not put the precedence of let's also make sure they can mentally survive that? Not because of when they get out, but we would like to have emotionally regulated soldiers that are going to survive this. Like, it feels like there could be preventative actions put in play faster than they are, right? In 2018, uh, uh, who was the president at that time? I don't remember. Signed an executive order to, uh, to uh, put more services in play bec- uh, for veterans because they are more at risk for suicide or suicide attempts the year after they get out of the military. And in 2018, there was an executive order uh, signed to improve suicide prevention services for veterans during their transition to civilian life. And it's like, I've talked to my a couple of my military and friends, and one of them's response was, oh yeah, no, they did that. What they do is when you're getting out, they took all of us and put us in a room and said, if you need uh, mental health services, you can go to the VA. Does anybody need that? And it was like, <laughs> okay. Like, is that, is that, was that post before 2018? Was it after 2018? I'd be interested. Uh, I haven't talked to uh, very many vets that have gotten out post 2018. So I'd be interested to see if that experience is so, different than the 2012 that a friend of mine had. There are. So there's, we, I think that's a misconception, right? Because there's so many issues with vets, people think that there's, there's no, there's, there's little to no help available to veterans, which is not even remotely true. There is so many programs out there and so many organizations, so many nonprofits and the VA, I mean, if veteran, any veteran, as far as I know, can walk into any VA hospital in case of an emergency. And I can go to any, any, any hospital in case of emergency at any time, and it'll be taken care of. Um, I think that's the CARES Act, I think, or something like that. I'll have to look that up. But, but correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe I live in a unicorn land, right? Them saying, hey, we will put these services in to retroactively help the damage that is done and paying for those services, right? The government doesn't want to spend money. Why aren't you putting services in play where you're requiring every single person who has anybody below them to meet criteria of mental health care, right? You normalize it. You have, you know, why is it that some people who are in charge will normalize taking care of yourself and showing them how to do it? It's like children. You can't build somebody all the way, break somebody all the way back down and not teach them to care for themselves in that, in that realm where it's leading by example that, that putting something like that into play has to be less expensive than the money that is spent on services and the lives that are lost because it's not working for everybody, right? I know it works. For well, people. those are different budgets, um, and as much as different form parts of the government don't don't really work very well with other parts of the government. I say all the time, and this kind of only makes sense is, is to vets is the the. The U.S. military has never heard of the VA, and the VA has never heard of the U.S. military. That's what it seems like when you have to deal with one one branch and then try and get documents for another and back and forth. They've never <laughs> heard of each other, and they don't know who you're talking about. Where's so that? There are, yeah, who? there are lots of programs in place, and, and there, are, there are ways to get help. And that's that's a misconception. But the the problem is 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 veterans aren't willing to admit that they need to go get help. Is I think a lot bigger of a problem. 
hundred percent. It starts because they were never taught. They were, and that's the same with that's the same with everybody. That's the same with everybody. It's not veterans. That's, 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 there's a lack of willingness to go get help to say I need yeah. help. That takes a lot of courage to say I need help. It, well, it's brand um, new in society that people are seeking help, and yeah. in our society right now, women are being diagnosed and, and seeking help more than men because women are allowed to have react emotional reactions besides just anger, even if people don't like them. Like I can cry and I can laugh and I can have these emotions and I'll, I get judged for it because there are stigmas, but like men get judged way more or have been in the past by, by crying, right. Or getting emotional about something. There's always a razz. Right? Um, well, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with crying as macho man. Randy Savage once said, uh, I've cried before and I'll probably cry again. I cry all the time, but that's because so, I'm burnt up. Um, uh, that's our first Macho Man Randy Savage reference for the podcast. So. Put it on the board. Put it on the board. Yes. Adiukin. Um, I, I don't know. I go back and forth. I have a lot of uh, negative, not negative. I have a lot of anxiety and worries about the military and mental health because I've seen what it's done to my friends that are in their thirties and forties. And I've seen what it's done to the older generation before me and the masks of alcohol and uh, avoidance that uh, a lot of the older generation have dealt with. Like I'm concerned that our society's not going to catch up enough to, for him to be completely okay. I mean, everybody deals with some stuff. I was not in the military and have severe PTSD issues. Like it doesn't only stem from that. Right. But I I can't protect him from that. I can't do that. So I have a lot of fear and anxiety, which comes out as like, everything's bad about him. I am hoping society catches up enough to be able to protect him. And maybe they will. And and the services are, like you said, the services are there. The problem is, to me, it's the exact same thing of when I was uh, training our our bartenders at Dublin's, where somebody would come in, they'd talk to Bull, they'd get the rundown. Okay, why don't you go go outside and have a cigarette with Anna, where I'd be like, okay, listen, if somebody buys you a shot, you can do it. I'm going to keep an eye. Like, that's where the other rules are, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. we told them not to do that. We told them not to do that. Or the military can say, well, we, we offer these services. But then you don't normalize picking them up because... Not enough people are doing it in the military. Well, uh, the whole the whole overarching thing tonight is, is stigmas, right? And, and, yeah. and trying to get people to, to, to break those or set aside the ones they have. And that's, like I said, why I'm doing this is because if, if people can see me uh, do the things that I'm doing, talk about the things that I'm doing, and, and, and when I, and I truly say, uh, nobody cares. Go get help. They will think more of you if you do go get help for yourself. Because, uh, and if people think less of you for that, you don't need to be associated with those people. I mean, I know that's hard. Sometimes it's family, and sometimes it's it's friends. But uh, at the end of the day, you're the one who has to live your life. You're the one that has to go and think back of all of the memories and did I do my best and. The time is going to pass anyway. All this time is going to pass. And to try and make it a little bit more enjoyable than just to be miserable. Go utilize and counting the down the hours. Do the best. And counting down the hours and sitting awake at night and being miserable. And I know it's hard. I know it, it, it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult for me, but just 
do a little bit. You can just do a little. You don't have to do it all in a day, a month, a year. You can do it over a long period of time. You just do a little bit at a time. I can stand that. We can do a podcast every week or every so often, and we'll get better and better and better, more relaxed on our topics, and maybe. And who knows? I mean, the milk budget has already gone through the roof. So, I mean, the future's bright. But anyway, better seriously, good help. Man. <laughs> all y'all need all y'all need help. I want to really acknowledge. I want to make sure that I acknowledge this because I'm all about the accountability. I this episode is about stigma and mental health stigma, and I'm very well aware of the fact that I have a stigma of what the military is doing and what they should be doing differently, and all those things. And it, I I want to acknowledge the fact that I'm a little hypocritical in that, but I but I am having these conversations with you so that I can learn more. I have conversations and interviews with all people all across the board so that I can learn more to sit more comfortably with these things. Well, I think I'm, but I'm a little I'm a little hypocritical when it comes to it. So today I cried all over the internet as. All right, I'm going to stop you right there. We're going to take a word from our sponsors. If you're looking for that somewhere, that some little place to relax next spring. Go to Outdoorsy.com, Wix RV. They've got a couple nice Gulfstream RVs available. Links in the comments. Hey, you want to rent an RV? Go to Outdoorsy. It's, they got a big one. They got a littler one. Drive across the country. Please take me with you. Check them out. <laughs> Check out the links. And get, if you can, uh, just go take a nice drive. So back to you, Anna. Nailed it. That's the commercial. <laughs> Just anybody want to go on vacation? Go to Outdoorsy. Book it. You can only bring five or seven people because I'm the other one. Okay. And that's and that's a wrap from our sponsors. Forty eight minute commercial. Listen, all I want to do is go in an RV and take right. a road trip. Anyway, Anna, it has been a pleasure having you on your show. As always, thank you for coming on and finding the time. <sighs> Uh, Nick, as usual, it's a delight to have you. It's a delight. Right, thank you. I, um, I did 13 stairs to get down here, but I made the trek just for us. And give us a like, give us a follow, and talk to us in that comment section. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one to edit.